Well, I can, my work here is done. <laughs> mixtape has been mentioned several times. <laughs> I won't explain to you that I didn't use CDs to make mixtapes because that okay. will further date me to the point of uh, to the point of mini discs. People used to make mini discs. <laughs> no, no, for a short I might, period. I, just, just, just vinyl. <laughs> uh, it might actually have been. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Human Element, Kara's podcast about modern marketing. Today, I'm thrilled to have Rob Walker, who's the Global Director for Creative Solutions at Spotify. Uh, We are so happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me. Uh, We're also joined by our esteemed co-host, Chelsea. Hi, everyone. So, Rob, tell us a little bit about your role at Spotify and sort of what you're focused on at the moment. Yeah, um, my role is running a team of creative strategists, and we're a team of about 30-ish people around the world. Uh, Pretty much everywhere where there's a Spotify network, we exist. I guess Creative Solutions probably doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, but it's um, internally thought of as the kind of creative uh, agency for brands. Mm. So, you know, when we get requests for work, whether that's media-related or marketing-related or content-related, there's a little bit more than just the media buy. Uh, my team tend to kind of swoop in and do some work. Largely in what you classify as sort of the content space? or Yeah, it's a bit of both. Okay. I think that we, in the last 12 months or so, we've developed a bit more of a consultancy side of our business, which mm. makes us much more of an agency. Yep. Um, we used to just develop content that brands could integrate into or sponsor, um, or we would do responses to RFPs. And now we tend to do things like workshop development, insight development with brands and helping them actually create versus us create the product. So what kinds of functions sit on your team? Do you have, you know, writers, designers, uh, strategists? Yeah, uh, pretty all much everything. <laughs> all, yeah, all of the above um, in different levels depending on the market. So uh, I have strategists, uh, what I would call kind of conceptual creatives, um, writers, and then uh, producers as well. So when you kind of think about how you grab insights and how do you plug it into the work that you're doing, one of the things that that Chelsea and I thought about when we started this podcast was how do we find examples of those places where humanity and insight are actually driving marketing outcomes? How do you guys think about that? One is a process, and do you have an example or two of, of how that comes about? Yeah, I think there's two sides of our industry in terms of those people who believe that algorithms and data machine-led systems will create everything. Um, they'll create the best creative work and the content and you know the rest of us can kind of sit back and do something else. And there's other people who believe that kind of creativity and curiosity and insight is probably the last thing that human beings get to hold on to. And artistry is probably the last of uh, human experience. I think at Spotify we're probably sat in the middle, in that middle ground in the fact that we created this buzz term, which is algatorial, Mm. um, which is a mix of editorial and algorithm-based. And my team kind of take that into heart by our mission. We all need our own words. Like, (laughs) like you haven't really accomplished anything (laughs) until you have your own words. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you've got to get a verb. Once you make it into a verb, you're great. So my team's mission is around data-fueled creativity. And I'm often correcting people and saying it's not data-driven creativity because I don't believe data drives creativity. I believe that it provides a resource for us to have curiosity to go fetch from. Um, so it can be fuel, but it can't necessarily, necessarily be a driven thing. So I like that, team, by the way. Yeah, and I think it's important 
as a as a balance there to get it right. Yep. Um, and when we're sourcing talent on our team or we're encouraging people to learn and develop in our team, we often encourage them to think about what curiosity means and how you develop an insight versus just spewing out numbers. And ways that we've started to do that is thinking about primarily around the data that we have and what's differentiating about that data and then trying to find some anomalies in that data. Um, recently, we became a little bit obsessed with the idea that sleep is a big thing on Spotify, uh, which is cool and weird, and we thought maybe you're quite niche. Turns out it's not niche. It's not it's, niche at all. No, it's no. a top five search term globally on Spotify yep. is sleep, and we found that focus, meditation, relaxation, studying, all these things were existing on Spotify, and we just started digging into more and more of that. And the data would never have just told us that. Yep. We had to be curious enough to find that. And then providing that into an insight that may, meant something actionable for people is a different matter entirely. And we tend to lean into what we talk about, which is like mood and moment understanding. And one of those, which is my favorite, probably because of my dad, is that I looked at um, auto intenders, which is like a third-party segment that you can take out there we applied it to Spotify data and found that the over-indexing moment was spending time with kids, but the over-indexing mood was aggression. <laughs> and not necessarily at the same time. Um, but that was, you know, lots of people would probably say, well, that doesn't seem right, so I'll only tell one side of that story. Yep. But I think if you're really looking for insight, you start to wonder, what's that tension there? Mm. So we, we started digging into that tension and realized that actually the aggression piece was when they were driving, and it's in a car moment, versus moment with kids, which is actually at home. And we realized that it's quite true for every dad, probably, which is that the car is the self-expression moment. Mm. And it's that moment when you probably can listen to Nirvana, Kendrick Lamar, and other music that you can't listen to with your kids in the backseat. Uh, so that's us is kind of probably an example of how we take data points, find tension points, find anomalies, and then try and glean some insights out of it. Those are great. I can assure you that my children listen to a fair amount of Metallica at very young ages. Uh, Excellent. Uh, but luckily, my wife was totally fine with that. <laughs> yeah. So what brands are doing things that you admire right now, even if it's being like in a campaign that's fueled by data like you're talking about? I, I, I thought what Nike did in uh, London with I'm a Londoner was great um, as a campaign. Talk a little bit about that, just uh, well, so think, our expansive audience can understand. Yeah, so I think um, the reason that that was just so interesting to me is, you know, as a British person that lives in America, um, Nike's not my number one brand mm. in the world, and I think it's a very American brand in terms of its tone, its um, identity, and everything else. And that was true for Londoners in general, and they realized that as a brand. So they thought, how do we... How do we come up with some sort of solution that means that we can actually sell to a huge audience um, of people in London? And the Londoner campaign, which I encourage anyone to go and watch, was Nike kind of looking at how they really take their brand identity of like supporting entrepreneurialism and individualism and apply that to the London audience. And they worked with various different crime artists um, and, and effectively created a campaign that spoke really to that audience. And... I think the reason I really like that is they put down their global hat for a minute and said, well, it works regionally for the, for the solution that we need and the challenge that we have. And then let's apply some of the things that are best in practice for us in the US and apply that to a local audience and work with influencers that really do make sense in that audience. Um, 
And then they just had a great soundtrack to that ad as well. It's just pure fire. I mean, they also had a bunch of powerhouses in that ad. Yeah, too, I mean, it was. I mean, it was like a star-studded cast, which is like yeah. quite classically Nike, I it guess. Um, but they did it in a way that every Londoner was like, "Yeah, that's exactly what we like." And then there's contrast to that as well. There's other brands that I think are doing like really interesting things that don't have the budgets and the massive power of Nike. And you know. It would be wrong of me not to say I think Spotify is one of those um, where we use small budgets, and but we do that in a way that hopefully gets enough attention because we're really focused on getting people to, I guess, talk about us because some brands have to be a bit more provocative. and can't just rely on big media spends. Well, so I imagine that's one of the challenges of your job that you face every day, but are there any beyond budget, since that seems to be most of our advertising issues yeah. and challenges, what other key challenges do you see? In your day-to-day? Uh, I mean, look, I'll, I'll touch on the budget thing because I think that everyone talks about that as an issue. I, I don't generally talk about that as an issue, to be honest, because I think this, the best work I've ever worked on is on small budget brands. It tends to be the brands with the biggest budgets actually don't think about problems as much. Uh, so for me, it's about finding those tension points. And generally, it's when you find a brand that actually knows and figured out its identity and its platform, uh, we did some great work with Snickers last year. Um, it's doing the rounds as like an award winner because of um, the "I'm not uh, sorry, you're not you when you're hungry" yep. campaign. I mean, that's a platform that's been going around for about ten years. It's by been Snickers. around, yeah. Yeah, it's a fantastic platform. Um, there's a great IPA effectiveness um, study about that whole platform, and they came to us and said, "How does that work on Spotify? How does that work in audio?" Because the mechanic of that creative is very visual-led. It's like. You're hungry, you become Joe Pesci, you become someone else, right? Uh, how do you apply that to audio? And for us to to take a great brand platform like that and try and turn that into something on Spotify is, I think, easy. Um, but it wasn't a budget conversation. Um, it just basically meant that we just said, let's look at our targeting and our data and create something cool. What we actually did was say, if someone's been listening to a predominantly one genre of music for a long time and then they change from that genre of music and start listening to something different, is it because they're hungry? And genre fans of pop, for example, suddenly become grime listeners. Is there a reason for that? Uh, and we use that targeting mechanic uh, to target people with a custom ad that was a Snickers ad. So they create custom songs that basically were kind of inception moments to say, you're not you and you're hungry. So, you know, obviously you guys sit upon one of the great repositories of interesting data in the world, and it is related to something around which people are so deeply attached, which is yeah. music, and reveals can reveal so much about who they are, you know, personally, what their specific motivations at a, at a moment in time are. Yeah. How do you guys try to keep your head wrapped around the creativity required to think about how to unlock that. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And it's a challenge. I think that for us, especially as in the creative solutions team, primarily everyone's a music fan in yeah. our group. Uh, many of them are actually musicians or former writers um, about music. What I tend to talk about is that the behavior and the consumer behavior hasn't necessarily changed. The, the behavior is always true that people made playlists. It's just that we called them mixtapes or CDs back in the day. Um, 
some people will be listening to this to be like, what is he on about? Uh, but I I'm remember. I'm so glad you said the word mixtape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was old enough to have written and created mixtapes. I'm just, I'm just, I'm shocked actually looking at you that you know what that is. Oh, yeah. But I, I, so glad. Huh? So, it makes me happy. but that's what you used to do. I right? used to create, write, a C, you know, put CDs, put favorite songs on a CD, and then. Or you did that in a tape and you gave it to your friends. And you didn't write like my top 10 songs or my top 100 songs. You wrote my driving songs or best summer ever songs yeah. or whatever it was. And that naming convention is quite interesting, right? Because effectively it's a collection of emotional content in, or passions into some sort of meaning that you've created. And in the past that was analog, so there was no way of knowing that other than through some sort of ethnographic study. Today, it happens on a platform. That platform happens to be Spotify. Yeah. So we use the same tools that lots of platforms use in keyword analysis and understand a whole bunch of things about moments and moods. So we tend to just start there. Um, but we st before we even start with that, we start with human behaviors. And human behaviors are pretty finite. There's only so many of them. And, you know, it's simple things, whether it's, the weather, or it's life milestones, um, or emotions. Um, we can start with that thing, and then we start playing around with some ideas, and that's how we landed on sleep, actually, as a, as a space, because if you start with those human, human behaviors, you're going to find something that's going to resonate with somebody. Um, yeah. And it also means you don't become too niche to the point where it doesn't mean anything. Right. Um, so we start there from our creative perspective, and then we lead into understanding the data and trying to take those behaviors that have always existed, like creating a mixtape, but we now call it a playlist. <laughs> how, how do you, you know, we live in a time where every 10 minutes there is some new eruption of something. Mm -hmm. And frequently at the moment in the United States, it's politically oriented, but it also is it's broader than that, right? Yeah. There, there's entertainment news. How are you guys sort of managing that stuff when? either political or cultural moments erupt that have links back to kind of music. Mm. Is there like a rallying cry Monday morning or Sunday night where it's like, all right, what, are we making decisions about what we're doing with this? Or what does that look like? No, not necessarily. I think the fast-paced turn of culture is true at Spotify as it is anywhere else. Mm. We see a lot of spikes of listening happening on Spotify as a result of like cultural conversations and topics um, that are out there. Sometimes they're politically motivated, sometimes they're not. We had a really funny one last year, actually, where Bonnie Tyler, um, Total Eclipse of the Heart, became... One of the great songs of all one time. One of the great songs yes. of all time. She's actually British as well, believe she it or not. She is. Um, Isn't she from, like, Newcastle or something? She's from Wales. Wales, uh, that's right. Yeah. She's Welsh. I forgot. Yeah, she's, she's Welsh. Yeah, she's Welsh. Um, and I prefer the seven-minute, twenty-five-second version. By the way, I don't <laughs> like this cut-down radio cut. No, yeah, no, the well, so did thing. so did America last year on Spotify <laughs> because we saw huge spikes of her listening last year because of the eclipse. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really Which bizarre. Just reveals to you like, just how dumb humans are. Right? It's, like, just, it's just great for me. It's just like the best of the internet behavior. Like it's just that we, I think, generally tend to turn to the negative a lot yeah. of the times, um, especially in social media. Um, but on Spotify, it tends to be like fun and bizarre, That's like positive stuff. Sure. Like you can literally track the moment people were streaming Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart to when the 
uh, like the darkness appeared in a certain town or city across across the country, which is just fantastic that that's what people were doing. Um, we've seen it with all sorts of things, like the the French um, national team last year wasn't necessarily thought about as the best uh, football team for the or soccer team, I should say, uh, for the World Cup. And that was seen by the fact that every time the French national team won a game, they played Gloria again as I will survive. Mm. And again, it was just a fun like way of people expressing how they feel on our platform, which I think is different to a Twitter and a Facebook yeah. um, and those places where it's conversational, but tends to lean towards the negative. It's and dark fast. It can be. Yeah. It, you know, sometimes it's a bit of a dumpster fire of yeah. conversations that are out there. Uh, and on our side, we tend to be pretty open um, I encourage people to just search literally anything on our search bar on Spotify. You'll find anything because uh, people can pretty much write anything. Uh, we do have pretty uh, strict terms and policy terms in terms of like what you can and cannot say on our platform. Um, but all of our content is like licensed professional content. So it's, it's going through like the right channels before it ends up on our platform, which means is we're actually pretty safe and trusted as a space. Mm. Let's talk about podcasting for a little bit. Um, not just because you're on a podcast, yeah. although it's super meta. Rich, <laughs> rich with meta. Mm -hmm. For a long time, digital transformed the music business, right? For yeah. a decade and a half or yeah. whatever the number is. And then let's call it two and a half, three, four years ago, really was the acceleration uh, of this sort of new age of audio in a broader context and pause and what have you. What do you think comes next out of that, right? So we're solidly in this wave of pod explosion mm. that will run its course in, in some way, shape, or form, as yeah. all things usually do. What's next in audio after that? Well, I think for me, podcasts are being talked about at the moment a little bit like blogs were 10 years ago. Yeah. And that everybody needs a blog, every brand should start writing their own blog and you know, it's a, it's a race to who has the best blog out there. Yep. But I actually think podcasts are a really, or probably have more longevity to them and more interesting space because of the just dynamic of how human beings are using platforms yep. is different. I think many people are feeling that burnout for too, from too much screen time. I think we as an industry in marketing, advertising, are focused a little bit too much on the screen and the visual of that screen is the only way to communicate to somebody and yep. almost forgotten that radio is this big thing that people mm -hmm. listen to all of the time or uh, a speaker is there for something other than just the soundtrack to an ad that's on a video screen. And I think podcasts have become a bit of an answer to that. Um, we still like digesting content, listening to content. For podcasts, we're kind of in this format at the minute, which is we're either copying what radio has done or we're doing pretty much exactly what TV is doing. And it reminds me of when you look at the first ever TV show host programs, and it was literally radio presenters sat in front yes. of a camera talking to each other. Yep. It'd be like putting a camera in this room right now. Yep. And we're kind of in that early phase of podcasts. So I think what we consider to be a podcast now could be totally different in five years from now as the storytelling evolves within audio space. Sure. You can make an argument that um, we're going back in time to, you know, with some of the original series and fictional series that mm -hmm. are now in, in they, they get called podcasts, but they're really not podcasts, yeah. right? They're, they're sort yeah. of radio series, not that that's the right term yeah, yeah. either, but um, I mean, that's a return to, you know, War of the Worlds, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, which, is, which scared the life out of everybody. Right, right, which basically it, yeah. shut down you know, <laughs> yeah. the United States for one evening. Yeah. 
when you think about how brands originally started to manifest themselves in radio and television and their relationship with content, they were the content producers and owners. And so yeah. there is a return to, I think, that that same origin of the business in some ways, which, you know, from an agency perspective, can only be a good thing. Yeah. Um, because it helps, I think, broaden the purview and involvement of what agencies can do for brands in those spaces. And I think yeah. that's that's pretty exciting. Uh, let's shift gears a sec. All right, 2019, we're, we're you know, a whole three months through. Mm. Um, when we get to the end, 2019 will be the year of the what? I think for me, it's, it's the year of sonic identity is what we're calling it, mm. but audio identity for brands. And I mean that in the sense of, very simplistically, it could be the return of the jingle, for a lot of brands, um, but it could also be for more sophisticated brands. Every brand has a brand Bible, a brand book, yep. a style guide. Not many of those brands have thought about their audio identity. Yep. So I think coming at it from a Spotify lens, you know, we see 2019 as the reawakening of brands understanding audio um, and hopefully for them to have some sort of sonic identity. What's sort of the one thing that either brands or agencies should be talking about right now that they're not? Uh, I think in terms of their positioning, it's about talent. And I actually think agencies and brands uh, in particular talk a lot about data, talk a lot about technology, talk a lot about tools. All of those things are important things for us. But they don't really talk about like the people. I mean, it, you know, it's, it, which seems really bizarre, right? Because yeah, that's what if we you have were, to sell. Well, exactly. And if you look at some of the great advertising legends of all time, um, from Stephen King and JWT to you know, Bill Burnback and others, of course they're selling ideas, but the ideas came from the great people. Yeah. And I think we, we lose that often when we talk in industries, in, in like when I watch a keynote, or when I watch Fireside Chats, everything else. Uh, we tend to focus too much on the how and not necessarily the why a yep. brand should work with an agency. Uh, and that's why, personally, I, I don't think agencies will ever go away. I think agencies have a strong positioning to be somewhat the secret weapon of a brand that a brand can never be itself. Because brands are you know, smart, sophisticated, but they're slower. Uh, yeah. And they always should be, because they should be steady. But an agency shouldn't be those things. Right. Um, they should be smart, um, but they, sh they should be renegades in many, many cases. And I think the talent should be there to do that. We should be talking more about the people and the talent um, in our in our industry, um, and I think brands should be talking a lot about their people as well. I love that answer, not just because it's I believe it to be so true, but also I think it matches this moment in time. So, you know, much has been made over the past three years since a certain individual rode down an escalator that we have really witnessed sort of the death of expertise, mm -hmm. right? That the value of expertise has been minimized, mm -hmm. whether that's institutional-based expertise or individual-based expertise, that somehow, ah, all of what you guys have been doing for 200 years doesn't work, and I know right. best, because you, know, you don't need to know about this stuff. It's all simple, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I think while agencies don't necessarily directly fall into that thing, we, we, we do that a little bit, right? We talk mm -hmm. about these other things, um, whether it's data or whether it's platforms or whether it's technology or whether... But but at the end of the day, fundamentally, we are entities that are about expertise. Yeah. And the, the pockets and the internal sort of weaving together of expertise to give a bespoke 
set of experiences to a to a brand or to a client. Yeah. Um, so I think there's something in your answer that is that is even more culturally broad in my mind, um, which I love. Yeah. Um, that's my five minute praise of your answer, Thank which is you. not what you get on your average podcast. No, right? I don't get that. No, no, no. I don't get that every day. Yeah, so that's right. Great. Hey, um, stop by. We do this once a week. Yeah. Uh, all right. So last question. Then we're going to jump into lightning round. Why do you love this business? And by this business, I mean broadly. Uh, marketing, creativity—you uh, know the space that you sort of occupy. Well, firstly, I, I'm not afraid to say I love advertising. Uh, I think a lot of people are scared. You are being brave now. No, I know. Well, a lot of people shit on advertising, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you have to edit that out. Or not, no, but, no, we don't. Um, we allow profanity on profanity this as long as it's in British accents. Yeah, it um, does sound a hell of a lot better than when I. Yeah, say. we get away with it. I think so often, and. This isn't me plugging this thing, but the, one of the guys that works at Spotify in Europe uh, is, feels the same way and start this whole movement, I guess you could call it, around I love ads or love ads mm. because we we love to like beat ourselves up. Yeah. And the whole love ads thing that Marco um, created in Europe is really a celebration of the fact that advertising is a great industry to work in. Yeah. And this, you know, I... Uh, we talked about this before we kicked off. I, I come from this satellite town called Watford, just north of London. Um, it's, you know, if anyone is from there, they know it's a bit of a drain uh, because anything that's decent is just close enough to London that everything goes to London. Uh, and it's kind of left this other world um, of satellite town nothingness. And th- frankly, I kind of think if it hadn't been for advertising, I probably wouldn't be living in the world that I live in today. And it has a lot of opportunity for people who are smart and want to work hard to do great things. And I remember being very impressed by advertising as a young kid. I love I loved the music in it. I discovered music from advertising in many ways. I discovered creativity and content in many ways. Um, and I've met some of the best people in the world um, from that as well. And generally, most people are quite positive in our industry. It's just that when the minute you put them on camera and in front of a microphone, they tend to just talk bad about it. Um, so yeah, I, I love our industry. I think there's a lot of positives to it. I think that we might be a little bit uh, too navel-gazing right now and focusing too much on a procurement-based cost sure. metric of our industry. For sure. Which goes back to my point around if we focus on the talent and what makes our industry great, which is you know positivity and creativity, you know, advertising is like really kind of made people rethink the world and open up the world um, in many ways, uh, and I don't think we should be afraid of that. So, Rob, uh, I just spent the past day and a half at the Four A's Decisions Twenty Twenty Conference, yeah. which I, I listened to some of that. That was quite depressing at certain points. Yeah. So, <laughs> which which the, the spirit of which was to start a dialogue around look yeah. as an industry. Um, Especially now that Martin is out of the picture, we yeah. do not have a large vocal advocate for all segments of the industry, not yeah. just creativity, but you know, media agencies and transparency and, and what have you. Um, and particularly coming out of the uh, A&A Masters last year, mm. when there was you know, a fair amount of um, piling on, would be my description, um, you know, we really, as an industry, have not come together to kind of tell the broader story. Um, and I, I think what you just did in that last, you know, two and a half minutes uh, is every bit as good as anything we did over the past day and a half. <laughs> Great, so thanks. I'm going to ship this off to Marla, who's going to be on the pod in a couple of weeks, yeah. um, because I, I thought that was really well done. It's funny what 
what I love most about it is when you were talking about Watford and about how it is sort of, you know, people go from Watford and they go to London and yeah. it sort of leaves Watford as whatever Watford is. Yeah. And that you sort of wouldn't have the life you had had you not left to go yeah. to London to be in the business. That personally resonated with me because I can sure I can tell you had I stayed in Hershey, Pennsylvania, I, I would not A, be the person I am and, and B, uh, I would not be anywhere near this this business probably. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 interesting. Uh, it certainly had a powerful impact uh, on my life. So let's jump into the lightning round before we get too nostalgic. Yeah. So um, favorite digital experience can be anything: app, website, out of home, digital, well, any anything. God, I, I probably Prime, uh, Amazon Prime, yeah. like just because, like everybody else that works <laughs> in New York, I have moment, fleeting moments of realization that I haven't done the thing that I was supposed to have done. And I can order something and it's delivered to my house within an hour. That's pretty phenomenal. And the acquisition or purchase of Whole Foods means that I can do it somewhat healthily as well. Somewhat. Somewhat. I mean, Prime is changing our lives. Yeah. So that's a big one uh, for me. And then I would, I'm excited for what Disney's about to do. Uh, from a content perspective, knowing that I have a four-year-old at home, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a game changer. I think. Well, I, I tell you what, it's going to cost you some money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sure is. Yeah. It's probably going to make me rethink a little bit about what I subscribe to. I think. How should brands be tapping into culture right now? Oh, big question. In one word. <laughs> what, <laughs> no, what kind of fucking lightning round question? I know, is that? right? <laughs> well, no, because like the one would be your answer would be like you know brands need to know who they are, right? Because that's yeah. been the conversation for. So now you're answering the question yeah. for him. Well, I'm not because I'm saying don't answer it that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, how can they tap into culture? Well, don't just badge it. It's probably easier to say not what to do. Uh, don't just badge culture. Understand what your point of view is on it and have a purpose. And, and to do that, you really have to understand yourself. So it goes back to having a social media account um, for brands. It's like, you don't, and not everybody has needs to have a social media account. Only have one if you've got something worth saying. Um, so I think that's the same in advertising and culture, marketing culture as well. We didn't ask you a music question. It seems yeah. like a massive oversight if we don't. Yeah. What, what, give me a couple bands here. Lay it out. The Clash. First and foremost, kind of like core of my identity, I have a tattoo of The Clash. Do you really? Yeah, it's on my leg. Um, I would show you, but my, I'm classically like a creative strategist wearing jeans that are too skinny to pull up. You can't get the, your pastor um, calf, all right. I pretty much love any music um, out there as long as it has a sense of authenticity about it. Yeah. I, I can't deal with music that's super polished. I think I've always had a struggle with musicals as a result of that as well. I can't deal with musicals. Musical theater, not your thing. It's just not my thing because it's just not based on like a, someone expressing their self-identity or authenticity Have about it. Have you seen Wicked? So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Random. Um, Have you been to Hamilton because it's a bit different? I haven't been to Hamilton, okay. but I feel like I should. I'm a big fan of his. I think he's great in everything that he's he does. He's remarkable. Yeah. So yeah, The Clash, first and foremost, and then I was just listening to a podcast on my way up here, actually, where a guy, DJ Yoda, who's a big DJ in the UK, talks about how, for, particularly for men, if you, when the music you listen to when you were 14 is pretty much the music that ident- you identify with for the rest it's of your life. It's not just the um, music, my friend. It's pretty much <laughs> everything. It's pretty much everything. So, you know, Biggie and Nirvana and Oasis and Blur are like the things that I kind of identify yep. with all over. And I think I was just lucky growing up around London because I've just been influenced by 
everything from rock music and to very diverse types of hip-hop and dance music and every every other thought. I, I What I love to do is actually nowadays, I because I'm a bit older and don't go out to bars and clubs and gigs as much as I used to, um, I listen to a playlist which is... Uh, I think it's available to everybody who uses Spotify. It's called Edge of the Needle. And it finds me, it's like Discover Weekly, but for bands that are like below 50,000 followers or listens. Uh, and I found a band recently called Coco Co, which are a uh, Republic of Congo band. They make a lot of their own instruments um, and they have like a producer with them. And I saw them at Baby's All Right in Brooklyn. They're phenomenal. They're like the best band I've seen in 10 years. And wow. the guy like run, as they started, he ran in with like uh, a megaphone, like shouting and going crazy. It's all in French. So I understood about, I don't know, 1% of it. Um, but it was just that energy that right. I, goes back to that authenticity point, which I think is amazing. So go listen to Coco Co. There you go. Yeah. Uh, all right. You are a West Ham fan. I am. I'm a United fan. Who is going to win the Prem this year. I think Man City are going to win. Yeah, I think so too. I hope so. Look, I can't stand <laughs> yeah. Man City, but I sure as hell don't want Liverpool winning. Yeah. Um, and who will be in the top four? Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham. So Arsenal and United on the outside looking in. Just about. All right. Rob, I cannot thank you enough. You've been absolutely fantastic. Thank I could you. do this all afternoon. Yeah, um, it's fun. What do you think? We get like uh, 7 o'clock. Uh, we'll do this once a week. Uh, throw yes. it up on Spotify and see who <laughs> so, listens. Yeah, we could give it a go. I'll tell you through the analytics how we're getting on as well. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do uh, we'll do half Prem, half uh, Congolese rock music. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a niche for it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sounds perfect. Rob, thanks so much. Thank you very much. appreciate it. So that's a wrap for another Human Element. Thank you so much for joining us. Please remember, you can find us anywhere you find your pods, especially this week, Spotify. Don't be hesitant to give us a review and to subscribe, and we will see you very, very soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.